back to the childhood cancer perspective. Thank you so much for sticking with me through all of these months and all of these episodes as I continue to track the journey of a parent's perspective after a child is diagnosed with a very rare form of brain cancer. Our daughter, JC, who was diagnosed with choroid plexus carcinoma on January 30th of 2020. After a 520 day battle, she unfortunately gained her wings on July 3rd, 2021 at 4.15 a.m. She is now our guardian angel and I use this uh, podcast as well as other social media and outlets to be able to document our journey and talk about things that maybe you wouldn't read about on a normal day-to-day basis, things that you wouldn't normally hear, and a perspective from somebody that saw it from the inside. Today I want to talk about something that is extremely important and a very controversial issue. I may have touched on this in the past, but because uh, in light of recent events it has come up again. And I wanted to address it the best way that I knew how. And that is from a parent that had to physically do something along these lines, that had to do this, and from a husband um, watching his, um, his wife's father go through something where he had to do the same thing and how that perspective is a little bit different. What I'm talking about today is a DNR. That is a do not resuscitate order. That is something that is very scary to hear. It's very scary to hear somebody sign a DNR, basically stating that if I get into a position where I'm left in a vegetative state, or I'm unable to care for myself, I'm unable to provide for my family, I'm unable to live the life that I feel like I should be able to lead, please allow me to pass peacefully. Do not try to keep me here any longer and do not use any heroic measures to try to bring me back if for some reason I suffer a cardiac event, if I go into a coma, if uh, any of those things would put me in a position where you'd have to use life-saving measures, please don't use that. Please respect my wishes and don't do that. Now, as an adult, we have the ability to really think about this in the future, to think about Do I want to be kept in a position or kept in a state where I can no longer care for myself? I can no longer care for those around me. And I can no longer live my life the way that I should be able to lead um, or should be able to live. As an adult, you're able to make these decisions. As an adult, you're able to um, focus on this and you're able to think about it and properly, you know, really talk about it in a way that could get other people to understand you or you could actually have conversations back and forth with somebody that you could really you know get a good inside view of what you think you should do now as a parent that has to sign one of these pieces of paper for a child because the child is not number one old enough and able to make those decisions on their own or number two is not in a mental state or mental capacity to be able to make a decision like that As a parent, making that decision is extremely difficult and extremely, uh, an extremely real feeling. And when I say that, it's, it's, it's that at that moment in time, you realize that you are signing a piece of paper that says, if my child goes into a medical event that you would normally, um, you know, pull out all the stops to bring them back, whether it's, whether it's on life support, whether it's, um, intubation, Uh, CPR, whether it's shocking their heart back into rhythm, any of those types of things, if those things happen, or if you need to use those things, we're asking you not to. We're asking you to let our child pass peacefully. Now, my wife and I actually signed two of these. We signed one in the hospital when we signed her out um, 
against medical advice, okay, AMA. We signed her out when they told us that there was nothing more that she could, that they could do. We signed her out and said we're going to bring her home. We are absolutely not going to allow these last four walls in this hospital to be the thing that she sees before she passes. Not going to happen. So they were convinced that she was going to code on the way home, that there was no way we were going to get her home from Milwaukee, which is about a two-hour drive, if not a little bit more. There was no way we were going to get her home without her coding. So we had to not only sign her out AMA, but we had to sign a DNR. This said that on the way home, if something happened, you know, we were, were just going to let it happen. We were not going to ask for any life-saving measures to be put into place. And at that point, we weren't signing it out of necessity. We weren't signing it because we felt like that was the only way we could leave. Um, we were signing it because at that point, based on her, where her mental state was and where her physical state was at that moment, that if for some reason they needed to do CPR on her or they needed to intubate her or they needed to shock her chest, any point, any of those efforts would have created so much damage to her already weakened body that it would have put her in a state of complete vegetation. She would have not been able to do anything. She would have been laid up for the, the remainder of her life, and we did not want that to be um, the way she passed. We wanted, if she was going to pass, we wanted it to be peacefully at home or peacefully with us. We did not want those types of measures taken that would essentially bring her back into a state of us being in the hospital in the ICU. We, that was against what we wanted. So we signed it. Now, we took her home, put her on hospice. She was put on hospice care. We had 12 days with her before she passed. In within those first couple of days, we had to sign a second DNR that was going that went through the hospice organization to make sure that everything was you know up to standards and ready to go if for some reason she did pass, or if she did have some sort of event where we needed to have that paperwork on file. So we did sign that paperwork. Now, as I bounce back and forth today, um, the second or the the reason that this came up again was because my father-in-law is going to be turning 79 this year. Um, somebody that when I first met, he and I got along, but throughout the relationship of my wife and I, we never really saw eye to eye. It wasn't until the last handful of years that we really started to kind of, you know, gain a, a mutual respect for each other, to gain a mutual relationship with each other. Um, and it is, it's, it's hard to watch him deteriorate the way that he's deteriorating. Not, it was, it's not due to cancer. It is due to other medical reasons. But throughout the years, he has lost his sight. He's lost his ability to drive, his ability to shoot his guns, which he, he has a huge passion for, his ability to hunt his fish, his ability to do everything with his hands, um, to build anything. He's lost the ability to do all of that. Um, he is basically, he's taken care of, you know, he, he's mobile, but not anywhere near what he was, you know, even five years ago. Uh, his, uh, my mother-in-law takes care of him. They drive back and forth from Michigan to uh, Illinois and Wisconsin for doctor's visits. And just recently he was admitted in the hospital for, I believe, six days because he had fluid around his heart and lungs. When he was admitted, he signed a DNR. And it was something that actually... It, it, I think it scared my mother-in-law quite a bit because it was something that he did so nonchalantly. And to me, in my mind, I don't think he did it nonchalantly. I think he did it because, number one, he feels like a burden. Um, number two, he's tired of feeling the way he does physically. He's tired of feeling the way he does 
um, and feeling that that feeling of you're in everybody's way, but also that you can't do what you used to do. You can't be um, using your your saws to cut down the trees on the property. They have, they own 80 acres worth of property. He, he can no longer take care of it. He can no longer cut down the trees to make their own firewood or build their own you know whatever. Um, they can no longer uh, go shooting. Like I said, he collects firearms. That's something that he's always done. He can no longer do that. He can't drive his car. He can't. Um, it's something that he spent a lot of time building uh, the perfect truck that he wanted when they first retired. He can no longer use that truck. He can no longer enjoy the animals that they have on their property. And I think at some point as, as an adult, you know, we can, you know, I can sit here right now and feel like I'm relatively healthy and thinking I'm not going to sign a DNR because if something happens, I want to make sure I have every opportunity to live my life the way that I want to live my life, and I want to live as long as possible to see as much as possible. But in a position like what he's in and what other adults are in, some people that you know you can think for yourself and make your own decisions, is that you don't want to be left to not be able to do anything anymore. Right now, he can still do some things for himself. He can still take care of himself. But if he gets in a position where he's laid up and all he's going to be is in bed and hooked up to machines, I can understand that that's not the life he wants to lead anymore. So, yes, he signed the DNR. That if for some reason while he was there something happened, he did not want any heroic measures taken. He wanted to be able to pass peacefully. He wanted to be able to be free from the life of what he's going through and be free from feeling like such a burden. As a child going through what they're going through. The hope and prayer is that you are going to recover from this. The hope and prayer is that you are going to beat this cancer. You're going to beat this disease, this monster that's attacking you. You're going to beat that. So to think about signing a DNR for a child that is eight years old or younger is very hard for a lot of people to understand, very hard for a lot of people to to really you know, grasp with their whole heart. And this is something that is been it has eaten me up for so long, because so many people I think not you know not necessarily directly but indirectly I believe attack us for our decision to sign a DNR. Now in the very beginning, both of our daughters were our older daughters were very angry with us for signing the DNR, very angry with us for making that choice. And it was us trying to explain to them the best way that we knew how, that this wasn't us giving up. We weren't giving up on JC. We weren't giving up on her ability to fight, her ability to beat this. We weren't giving up on that. We were giving her the best opportunity if for some reason things went bad. We were giving her that best opportunity to just pass peacefully and not be brought back into a, a state of... of not being able to do anything. She was already limited at that point with her mobility and limited with her uh, her mental state, limited with all of that. So for us to bring her back and have her be completely dependent on us with no freedom at all seemed cruel. It seemed like we needed to respect her wishes and respect what she wanted, which is just to just to be at peace and just to be done with the fighting and be done with the the pain, the, the chemo, the treatments, the doctor's visits, to be free of all of that. 
And in our mind, what we were doing was we were giving her that freedom. We were giving her that respect to just pass peacefully. But when it comes to, you know, life and death situations and it comes to, you know, making these types of choices for your child or even for just a loved one, even if it's an adult, when you're making these types of decisions, it is not something that is talked about. And as a matter of fact, it's almost like a taboo topic. Um, But this right now is is a very hard time for us in our family. Okay. It's a very hard time. Cancer diagnosis, uh, you know, major illness. These are, these are not something that is for the weak heart. This is something that when we go through it, we're fighting with all of our might. We're fighting with everything we have to try to fix what is wrong. When in the back of our mind, we're truly understanding that it's in God's hands. There's, there's nothing we're going to be able to do to fix this. And that is the most helpless feeling. So signing this type of letter, this type of document, is not a sign of you uh, or the patient giving up. It is not a sign of of you or the patient saying, I'm done. I'm not going to fight anymore. I'm not going to try anymore. No. It is a simple, to, to me, the document is about respect. The document is about, I've done all that I can do. It is in God's hands now. If it's going to happen, I would like it to happen on my terms. I want to happen. I want it to happen because I say so. And I've talked about this before that in in the pediatric cancer realm or just in the cancer realm at all, um, a lot of choices and a lot of decisions and a lot of options are taken away from you. You are you are completely helpless. So if there is anything that you can control, then you take control one hundred percent. And you gain it, you hold it, you don't let it go. So this is probably the most important thing that you can have control over at that moment. Is if you are going to be kept alive in a situation where your body has given out, your mind may have given out, and you are kept alive on machines. You're kept alive with no um, reasonable expectation that you're going to recover from any of this. Do you want to continue living like that? And a lot of people are going to say no. As adults, you're going to say no. Some adults are going to say, I'm going to fight until that, um, until you pull the plug. Um, With children, we give them, I think we give them more um, expectations because as a young, a young person, as a young body, a healthy body, or just young in general, still developing, you can have your immune system could possibly recover faster. You know, as kids, if we hurt ourselves, they usually tell you, you know, kids will recover fast because our bodies are, they're not beat up yet. They're not, they're not, you know, they're not worn out yet. They're still, they're still growing. But as going through these treatments and going through these, these immunotherapies and going through this entire life and this diagnosis, your body is beat to hell. And as a kid, as a small body, it, it's like it hits twice as hard. So I think we give them the benefit of the doubt of having, you know, an immune system that can fight this type of stuff off, but at the same time, um, understanding what these treatments do and understanding that the real, the real possibility of them passing is the last thing that either you or they have control over and giving them this control saying, if for some reason it gets you to the point where you're not going to be able to be brought back into a meaningful life, 
we're going to allow you to pass peacefully, and that's the most respectful thing that we can do. On July 3rd, 2021, at 4.15 a.m., our daughter, J.C. Rose Sunshine, took her very last breath. I listened with my head on her chest to her last heartbeat. I listened as the nurse came over and checked and said, she's gone. And at that moment, and this was this was hours in the making. This was hours of, of listening to her, her body breathe in weird ways to... Um, having her be completely unresponsive to us, to have no ability to communicate or know if she was hearing what we were saying to her. That moment, or those moments to us, you're wondering to yourself, should we be trying to save her? Should we be trying to do something? That that piece of paper doesn't stop us from trying. That piece of paper says that we don't want heroic measures taken, but at that moment in time, you you will question whether you made the right decision. You will question whether that is the best thing for them. I still do believe that, yes, that was the best thing for her. That was the best thing that we could offer her, um, was that respect of letting her pass peacefully. I don't think that if we would have brought her back, that it would have put her into a position that she could have had a meaningful life. So we made that choice. And we live with it every day. We live with that piece of paper in this house saying, do not save my child if for some reason God wants her to come home. And as a parent having to sign that piece of paper, there is, there is no worse thing. We signed so many documents for JC, so many in the middle of the night, in the early mornings, in the afternoon, for surgeries, for the start of chemo, uh, for her stem cell transplants, for all the testing that she had to do to become eligible for stem cells, the amount of things that had to be signed, all, every single one of them, at the very end would tell you that there is a very small risk of death from any of these treatments. From any of these tests, from any of these procedures that we're putting her through, there's a chance. And every single time that she had to go in for surgery, her mother and I, if we were to, if we were together, or if I was with her for something else and I was there by myself, every time she had to go in for a procedure, and for and for my my wife as well, if if she was there for her radiation treatments and things like that. Anytime she had to go back through those doors and go into a treatment or be put uh, be put to sleep so she could have MRIs done or the surgeries done, there was always that chance that she was not going to come back through that door. That first surgery was 10 hours long. That is the longest 10 hours of my entire life, not knowing whether or not she was going to come back through those doors. And if she was going to come back through, who was she going to be? Would she be the same? I mean, they're operating on your brain. Was she going to be the same kid? Was she going to be awake and alert? We signed so many pieces of paper that said that our daughter may not come back. But this was the only one that we signed 
that meant that she wouldn't. And that's a transition that that I don't want people to ever understand what it feels like to make a transition like that, that you go from signing documents that say maybe to signing one that says this is a definite. And, you know, DNRs don't have to be a dirty thing in the sense that, you know, you could sign a DNR and never have to use it. You could sign a DNR in your young adult ages and just because you say that's you don't ever want to be in that position. But, like I said, it's a sign of respect. Um, this, this is a topic I don't like. Um, but it's something that's very real. And especially in this community, I can tell you, is very real. We have been through so much in our lifetime and so much in the past few years since her passing that all I want for this type of this podcast and our social media and um, our organization and our events and our efforts, the only thing that I really want is to be able to not only connect with people on another level. I want to give them um, a voice. I want to give them the opportunity to listen to somebody that's been through it. Um, I want to give you, I want to empathize with you, and I want to connect with you on a different level. Being in a position to make a decision like this for your child is something that I wouldn't wish on anybody. I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy, not even in the slightest. And I don't ever want anybody to think that this was an easy decision for us that we did it out of out of necessity. Um, you know, we know people that, that wouldn't have signed this paperwork if you would have paid of millions and millions of dollars. And it's because it it's a it's a finality on on a on a journey or a shit show. It is a finality on that that is really the last piece of paper that you're going to sign. And in, in the efforts to keep your child alive and keep them safe, it's the last piece of paper that you're going to sign in that, in that realm. And when we, you know, were at home and we had her on hospice care and, you know, in the very beginning, she actually was doing, you know, pretty decent and she was mobile and, and she was up and moving around. But the last few days, she slowed down very, very gradually, but she slowed down and you could tell. And knowing that we had this order in place, it it's a lot to it's a lot to deal with. It's a lot to um, it's a lot to process. And I think it was a lot to process for our daughters. Like I mentioned, they were very angry with us that we had signed these papers and couldn't understand why we were giving up on JC, why we were just quitting. And it's never been about that. It was always about we have to do this out of respect for your sister, out of respect for our daughter. We have to, because if we do bring her back, you're not going to have that, that same fun loving. I want to go play Barbies. I want to go outside and go swimming. I want to go on the trampoline. I, you know, you know, come play dolls with me. That same fun loving girl is not going to be what comes back. If she comes back at all, it's going to be a very, very different person, a very different life for her. Um, so much more 
than it is now. She was already at the point where her mobility was gone and her ability to, you know, be a part of everything in life was essentially gone. And so to put her in a position where she couldn't enjoy the life that she wanted to enjoy and enjoy the life that she so deserved and she so missed, this was the best option for us, the best option for her to give her the respect that she deserves. Eventually, I believe they came to terms. But I want I want to finish up on a couple of things here. I've brought it up before. If you're in a position where this is your family, you do exactly what you feel is necessary for your family. You do what is most respectful for your child, your family member, you do you. What other people think, what other people say, what other people believe is absolutely irrelevant in the situation if you're making a decision for your family. I may get into this next week, but there are far too many people and far too many people that are close to us that feel the need to explain and let us know how they feel that we made the wrong decisions, but not directly. Indirect insults to us that we made the wrong decision, or how in the hell could you do this? How in the hell could you do that? How can you move on every single day doing this? How do you not just... What you do for your family, what you do for your family, your decisions, your choices, that is up to you. That has nothing to do with anybody else. And I'm going to say it again. That has absolutely nothing to do with anybody else. If you can't, and if this is the other side of this, if you're the person that feels that your family member made the wrong choice, and I'll just put it, I'll just say it like this. If you have a family member that lost a child to cancer and they had to sign DNRs and they had to put her in hospice, them in hospice, if they had to um, quit treatment, if they had to change treatment, put her in, put them in clinical trials, travel for whatever, and you feel like they made the wrong choices, and you feel like they didn't do what was right by their child, shut up. It is not your place to make those choices. It is also not your place to make those decisions for them. Your main job, your main job is to be there, be supportive, and understand that this is absolutely the worst thing that they could go through that could absolutely affect you anytime. Cancer is a bitch, and cancer does not discriminate. It doesn't discriminate against color, against race, ethnicity. It doesn't discriminate against age, religion. It doesn't. Cancer is a bitch, and cancer does what it does to whoever the hell it wants to. It can affect anybody in a split second. Your 
thinking that you made the telling somebody that they made the wrong decisions or creating that that image around that that they you don't agree with what they did does nothing to help the situation what they need is your support so that is my PSA for the end of this I am tired of hearing people family members friends whatever in the background talking about how we made the wrong choices or how could you make a choice like that how could you do this and how could you do that how do you do this now versus what you could have done not your place know your role stay in your lane and just be supportive it's pretty clear-cut now this episode is being recorded on Tuesday February 13th when it is released tomorrow on Wednesday February 14th JC would have been 11 years old anybody listening to this right now I challenge you to take this day and live like JC I challenge you to do something nice for somebody random it could be as random as paying for somebody's food behind you in the drive-thru it could be as random as paying for somebody's stuff at the grocery store or the dollar store it could be as random as holding the door saying hello to somebody that looks like they're down acknowledging that people going through things don't always show the signs of going through things just be nice to people but tomorrow and for those that are listening right now today February 14th Valentine's Day please do something nice today in honor of JC do something nice today to honor her spirit and her memory and her legacy because all she ever cared about was everybody else she loved life she loved her friends she loved her family and we hate missing her we hate not having her around with us but I just know that she's watching and I just know that she's proud JC sweetheart I love you we all love you so much and we miss you terribly but tomorrow I want you to have the happiest most amazing birthday in heaven celebrate your 11th heavenly birthday and you keep doing all the amazing things that I know you're doing and you keep showing us that you're here every single day I love you and I miss you sweetheart and happy birthday Everybody else, thank you so much for sticking with me through these episodes. I will be back next week with a brand new episode. And again, if you have any option or any, any ideas of what you would like me to talk about, any topics you think I've missed, or just questions that you have that I can answer, please submit those either in the comments below. Um, you can also comment on our YouTube page. I also put the video up on YouTube. You can comment there. Or you can find me. I'm not too hard to find on any of my social media and message me there, and I will do a comment, uh, ask and answer session or something along those lines. So I will see you next week.